Fan Junkies Radio is brought to you by FanJunkies.net, where sports meets social networking. Another episode of Fan Junkies Radio. I'm your host, Jonathan Raggis. Alongside me, as always, Mr. McShane, Mike McShane. What's going on, Mike? Hey, how are we doing today, Jonathan? A lot of sports today, I'll tell you. Oh, yeah. You know, we got some great (laughs) news this weekend, too, Mike. Oh, man, alive. It just loaded. Just loaded today. Uh, And then, you know, cap it all off, we got a national championship to play tonight, so... Absolutely, absolutely. But you know what? Before we get into anything, we just want to uh, say, uh, you know, today we have a very good guest, yep. uh, you know, movie producer, uh, basketball coordinator, casting, uh, you know, te- you know, technical advisor, writer, director, basically the jack of all trades. Yeah, he sure is. Yeah, Nate Bellamy, he's, he's going to join us today to talk about his new movie, uh, Renaissance Men, which, uh, you know, is basically about the history of the Harlem Rents. Uh, yep. um, you know, a lot of basketball history there. So he's going to join us at about the 12.15 mark here on Fan Junkies Radio today. And, uh, you know, basically tell listeners, uh, you know, uh, if you don't know who the Harlem Rens are, Nate will tell you about them. If you do, listen, because he's going to have a lot of information about the movie and even some great stories uh, about him and, uh, you know, some former Rens players like John Isaacs and such. So that's going to be really good. Um, also, Wednesday, we have WFAN Jets reporter Crystal Presti is going to join us to talk about the New York Jets. Um, you know, what's going to happen tomorrow at the uh, press conference. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are, are, are they going to fire Tony Sperano? Is Rex Ryan going to stay? Who's going to be the new GM and whatnot? Um, also, on Friday, WIFL Women's Indoor Football League Commissioner Dion Lee is going to be joining us. And, uh, you know, not only are we going to learn about the WIFL, but we might have some possible big news to announce yeah. as well. Very so, possible. Three big shows this week. And also we have some even more guests for next week, but we'll get to that uh, later on in a week. Uh, but you know what? Before we talk to Nate, before we talk basketball, the NHL lockout is over. We have hockey, Mike. <laughs> Yay! Not <laughs> so happy. Uh, yeah. Well, I, you know, uh, I, you know, look, we 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 know there's a lot of hockey fans out there. We've heard from a lot of them over the past couple of months. You and I are hockey fans, and uh, we we both have a lot of followers uh, of us that are hockey fans. I'd like to hear from them. How yeah. do they feel about this? Um, i got to be honest, Jonathan. Um, when the news came down the other day, I was like, okay. I mean, really, okay. that, that, that was it. That, that, that's okay. my sense on it. You know, uh, I, I really, I, I'm kind of at a point where I really don't care. Yeah. You know, well, we you know, you and, know what you and a lot of other people. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it. We've talked about the concept that, okay, it's going to be a shortened season. I've asked the question, you know. Uh, if your team wins in a shortened season, is that a is that a cheap one? Yes. You know, we've we've had these kinds of discussions. Um, it, 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 it drug on and became so anticlimactic after a while that now it's there. Okay, fine. So what? You know. Well, you know what? But you know what? Before you go, go on. Let me ask this because you know we we did talk about okay, whatever. It's it's the lockout. If it comes back, it's a shortened season. If you win the cup. Do you have bragging rights? Would you even be happy about winning that cup, et cetera, et cetera? But if you look at last season, 
it took the Los Angeles Kings, who went on to win the Stanley Cup, possibly about the last three games of the season to get into the playoffs. Right. Um, this year, 48 games is, 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 is what they're talking about, starting on January 19th with camps opening up, um, possibly this Saturday. The playoffs start right now, Mike. Well, I, I guess... Right? Yeah, I guess you could look at it that way. Of course, you know, let's see what kind of condition the players are in. You know, that's going to that's gonna slant it a lot, too. Well, you I know, mean, considering a lot of these players are playing overseas, we're playing in the AHL over here, but not at that, you know, also skating by themselves with their teammates and playing scrimmage games, I think they'll be okay from a conditioning standpoint, but will they be okay from an actual hockey skill standpoint? Yeah, but you and I talked about that before, and if I'm not mistaken... I forget if it was either yourself or maybe it was somebody that we had on uh, who came on afterward and corrected and said, you know, wait a minute, let's get it straight. A lot of a lot of the ones that were playing overseas were really some of the bigger stars. The majority of players have not been playing. Yeah, well, I'm, no, absolutely not. The majority of players have not been playing. But if you look at, like, let's take the Rangers, for example, um, you know, they've been doing, you know, team organizational skates, practices and scrimmages and whatnot, at a local uh, rink in, in Long Island, so I, right. they've been getting, you know, so the guys who weren't playing anywhere overseas, they were getting together to try to keep themselves in shape and, and you know, and, and conditioned for a possible return of the NHL. So I no, think I, some I, players will be gassed at the beginning of the year, um, but for the ones that have been skating, have been playing or whatnot, which is you know a, a, a decent chunk of players, Mike, I think they'll be okay. But there'll be some players that you'll see really gassed, and it's going to take them a while to get going. Yeah, um, you, you know, uh, that, that's that's fine. We'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, yeah, I, I, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm probably going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to check out the games. I'm going to watch. Um, and the people but, who say they're not going to watch, they're going to end up watching. Well, you know, you know uh, there's no other, there's no better playoff than, than NHL playoffs. But at the same time, I still kind of feel that there's a bit of a, uh, there's a bit of a hangover that, that, that works on this one a little yeah. bit. Uh, well, there really is. Because you were one of the people that were in favor of the NBA lockout and the shortened season, and you said it made for a more exciting season last year. I right? think it did there. I think it did there, yeah. You don't think that'll be the case for the NHL? Uh, it may. Um, now, listen, I know two totally different games from a conditioning standpoint and from, a, you, know, for, you know, from an energy standpoint, but is there a possibility? Because, like I said... Once January 19th comes, the playoffs are going to start. There's yeah. not going to be, you know, month, month and a half where, okay, well, you know, you could get yourself together and then start to win games. No, you're going to have to start winning games January 19th. Sure. So, you know, is there a possibility that this can make for an exciting schedule? Well, no, and you and I have talked about this. Yeah. We have, I've actually indicated that I feel that an 82-game season is too long. Yes, you did. Um. And I think it's I think an 82 game season in, in NBA is too long. Uh, I would I would prefer to probably see something more like a 62 game season. Yeah. Or a 60 game season. But now we're talking about 48. And, and I guess we're just gonna have to wait and see how it plays out. Um, no, I guess I guess, you know I, like I said I'm gonna check it out. <laughs> I just think the whole manner in which uh, the whole the whole proceeding has taken place has left has left a very 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 bad taste in my mouth. Well, yeah, but, doing a lot of other people. So yeah. Uh, now, the, the, I'm 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 always gonna watch. I'm 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 always gonna be a Rangers fan until the day I die. Um, I I I, you know what? I, I'd like to say I have the luxury of saying, well, I'm not gonna watch because I'm upset about it. No, 
But, you know, running Ranger Nation for the last 12 years, a lot of people depend on our website and our Twitter account and whatnot for New York Rangers information. So it's right, right. You know, and, and unfortunately, I don't have the luxury to say, well, I'm not going to watch no more. You know, yeah. like you know, some of these other fans, and I'm doing that with quotations in my in my fingers. Because, listen, whether you're upset at whatever, the lockout or whatnot, if you're a true fan and true lover of the game, I don't see how you cannot watch. Yeah, well. You know, because if you're that desperate to watch hockey to say, well, you got to get something going. I need my hockey. I need my hockey. But then it comes and I say, well, I'm not going to watch because you're back. Then why did you say just minutes before that you need your hockey fix? But see, then we're all just – then we become the sheep that both Batman and, and Fair – We had we were. sheep for many years, Mike. And I hate to say it. When it comes to at least the NHL, they're going to – you know, the fans there are going to continue to be cheap. <clears throat> because like we said, too, you know, why is there not one faction getting together, joining up and grouping up with the fans – and really doing something big here. Yeah, well. Instead of multiple people going out and saying, well, instead of getting with, um, you know, this one fan organization, I'm going to go out and make my own. Right there, you're putting a divide in the fans. Mm-hmm. So to me, you know, I, I, and I say they're going to continue to be sheep unless they can finally do something as an organized base. Until then, I, I just don't see many people not watching NHL. I guarantee you there's going to be a lot of people watching it. Uh, there will. We'll, 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 I'll be curious to see uh, in the end whether uh, ratings drop off uh, this year. I think they probably I think will. Ratings will suffer in the beginning, possibly the first three to four weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, no. Oh, okay. Interesting. I think it's going to be fine. You know, I, I don't think it's going to be up to the standards of last year, but I think it's going to be such a minimal percentage of people that are missing from that demographic that I, that I don't even think they're going to worry about it. Because it's hockey, and because the fans that are hardcore, legit fans outweigh the ones that are saying right now, I'm not going to watch. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're outweighing them by a, a, a drastic measure. So, I don't know if you took a look over the uh, details of what's been proposed as far as the CBA goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but interestingly, one of the things that you and I both pointed out was going to be the stumbling block uh, in the in the most recent the most recent owner's proposal was the salary cap. And you and I read over uh, the last proposal that was put forth by the owners. We read through it, and we both came away saying, okay, it sounds fair, but then we both stopped when we read what the salary cap was, and we said, "Uh uh-uh, that ain't going to work. Yes. And in fact, in the new proposal, that's exactly uh, where a a big portion of the the stumbling block was. In the first year, uh, the salary cap is up to $70.2 million, uh, by year two, it would drop down to $64.3 million. Uh, and, and and I think it's – I'm not sure exactly whether it holds there or whether it's a sliding scale uh, in subsequent years. But this is a 10-year deal, apparently, with an opt-out after uh, year eight, I believe. Yes. Um, Plus, you know what? I, I – I, I actually like the whole draft lottery thing that they threw in there. I was just going to throw that. Yeah, I was just going to throw that out there. That's that's another new little wrinkle in there. We're going to have a 14 non-playoff team lottery for the number one pick yes. uh, in the in the uh, in the uh, draft, a la the NBA and how they've been doing that since uh, what? Well, I mean, uh, you know what? Listen, the Edmonton Oilers can't have the first pick every year for 15 years. Oh, right, right. You know what I mean? So to me, I think that's that's fair. Absolutely, you know? so. absolutely. So I kind of like that. Um, Olympic participation will be dealt with outside of the new contract. Um, teams will, re- will reportedly receive two amnesty-type uh, style buyouts 
yeah. uh, over the course of the next two seasons. Exactly, which could be used over the next couple of seasons. So. Exactly, which I, I think that, that that is beneficial. Uh, contracts are capped, I believe, at seven years. Yes. Uh, that is you know what? We saw, and listen, we saw the buyouts, you know, work really well with the NBA. You know, right. teams were able to get rid of players that signed such big deals years ago, and they're, right. you know, a shell of their former selves. Now, they were able to get them off the roster. But not only that, to me, that gives, you know, that opens up a spot on a roster for somebody more deserving. Correct. Which is why uh, I like that amnesty-style buyout. So the, uh, the NBA, I believe, had, was it one per team? One per team, which is why you saw guys like Gilbert Arenas and right. you know all these disgusting contracts get bought out. You know? Right, and now in, in the NHL they've got two uh, in this one, and I think that that is a direct result of the fact that the owners recognize that there are far, far, far too many enormous contracts floating out there. Oh, uh, in know, the market. you look at the uh, contract that uh, what was it? Uh, I think Buffalo signed with uh, Christian Aroff. Okay. You know, I mean, come on, man. That that, that Christian Earth was not deserving of that contract. You know what you I mean? So, say. you know, it was just such a, I mean, a 10-year deal. Yeah. I mean, you know, even the one that the Islanders gave Rick DiPietro, I mean, it's their stupidity for doing it. You know, but at the same time, like, seriously? Come on. Yeah, we've got a, we've got a similar situation like that here in Philadelphia with one uh, humongous uh, uh, goaltender. So, uh, uh <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. I mean, do, do, do you know what? Would you see them using that? I think potentially they could. I mean, given two of them, yeah, I think they could. Off because, seasons, you know, not maybe not this season, but next year. Correct. Could that be a good possibility? That they, correct. You know, you know, buy out your Brisgalov over here in, in in Philly. Exactly. Now, I think there uh, it's it's two. They get two buyouts yeah. in the course of the next two seasons. So they would have to be used within those two seasons. Otherwise, I guess uh, they get lost. That's right. With the Rangers, everybody's already speculating they're going to finally get rid of Wade Redden. Right. You know, so we'll see what happens. But, I mean, you know what? I think, you know, between the amnesty buyout and the draft lottery, I really like those two additions to this new CBA agreement. Yeah, it, 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 should, make it, it should make it more interesting. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. You know, uh, the, the, the draft lottery, I think, is kind of a neat concept. Yes, it is. that's a neat concept. It is. Like I say, you know, or you know, Edmonton getting the first round pick almost every year, and still being fini- you know finishing last place every other year. It's like, come on, you know. Well, and hopefully there's there's a benefit in something like that to uh, some of what we hear about the, the small market teams. Yeah. You know, those ones that are struggling. Hopefully, you get a chance to see some of those teams. Uh, being the beneficiary of, of higher draft picks. Absolutely, absolutely. You know what? I didn't even think about that, and that's, you know, you you just hit the nail on the head. I mean, these small market teams are the ones that were pushing for a further lockout because the bigger owners just wanted to get, you know, get going. And they're like, no, you know what? We need a higher salary cap or we need a lower right. whatever. But that's something that's only going to benefit those teams. Absolutely. And it might have been the Flyers, the Red Wings, you know, whatnot. They're, you know what? They're not going to be at the bottom of the heap, and they're not going to have to worry about right. the draft right. story, you know? So the, I, I think that could have been – that actually may have been more of a, like an olive branch that they were they were th- tossing out there to some of the, uh, the, the quote-unquote, like I said, small market teams, the Columbuses, the, the Phoenixes. Yes. You know, so – well, uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, right now, we're looking at the potential start date of uh, what? January nineteenth? Is that what you said, uh, Jonathan? Uh, the nineteenth. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah the nineteenth with uh, camp supposedly. If, if if everything goes 
the way it's supposed to go, then camps would open up um, this Saturday. Right. So 48-game right. schedule, um, so we'll see what happens. Um, but, you know, let's get to our guest. And uh, right now um, on the line we have Nate Bellamy, the movie yep. maker who's making the movie Renaissance Man. Nate, thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you, Jonathan, for having me. It's a pleasure to be on uh, Fan Junkies Radio this this afternoon. How are you guys doing? Real good, real good, Nate. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, we're doing real good. And, uh, you know, Nate, you and I talked uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, you know, we spoke basketball. We spoke Harlem Rens. We spoke about the Renaissance Men. And, uh, you know, you and I are both New York products. So we spoke a little bit about that, too. And you had a lot of great stories. I enjoyed listening to him, but you know what? Let's have our listeners enjoy listening to him. First, why don't you tell uh, people a little bit about you and your background? Okay, um, I'm a native New Yorker from Brooklyn, born and raised in uh, New York City. I went to uh, ISV 20, which is now Jackie Robinson uh, Middle School, Mm -hmm. and I went to Lafayette High School. Mm -hmm. And Lafayette High School is known for uh, Sandy Koufax, the great Hall of Fame baseball player, and Larry King. And um, when I was in high school, uh, they did a documentary team, a documentary movie about my high school team my senior year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were one of the best teams in the city. We went to the PSAL championship two years in a row with a record of 44-4. and four. Yeah. And then from there, I went to uh, school in California and played for Cal State LA, was an all-conference player, and got into the, the movie-making business. In which you did a lot in the movie-making business, so why don't you tell people some of the titles that you had a hand in helping make? Okay. Some of the movies that I've been in range from Predator 2 to Space Jam, Love and Basketball. Uh, Some of the movies that I had more than just being an actor in, but also being part of the production in terms of helping with casting and and coordinating would be uh, Rebound, the HBO movie about Earl the Manigault. Yep. And also Space Jam. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, and we spoke about that. I mean, you know, uh, Mike, I don't know if you ever watched it, The Legend of Earl the Goat Manigault. Phenomenal no. story. You know, basketball history at its best right there. No, but I, I, I'm i looking through I'm looking through Nate's uh, background here, and I, I see you had some background, or you did some work with the, the Hank Gather story as well. Yes, yes, I did. Yes, I did. And that one, that one I am familiar with. Uh, I, I do recall that one. Yeah. There was yeah. another one in here I'm looking for as well. Uh, that uh, I, I when I was reading it through this morning, there was something else that grabbed my eye that I uh, I had remembered uh, greatly. It'll, it'll come to me in a second. But uh, the Hank Gather story. When 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 was that work done? Well, it, it was done uh, shortly after his death, and, right. um, and and it was a, a TV movie of the week, right? Uh, wow. Type of deal. Yeah. And then um, it was it was a good it was a good movie. Uh, Bo Kimball had a lot to do with it because mm-hmm. he was uh, uh, Hank's best friend, yeah. and we basically kind of told the story of uh, of them growing up in Philadelphia and then coming to uh, Los Angeles and both playing for Lola Marymount, how that came about, and of course it ended with his tragic death. Yeah, mm. and see, I'm a Philly guy, so obviously that one grabbed my attention. Good, 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 good. These are good stories. These are the kind of stories that really transcend the sport of basketball. You know, even though basketball is what the characters played, but the stories are really about some simple truths and, and, and they're stories about life. And these, yeah. these these stories have a universal message and that's what it's all about. Yeah. And you know what? It, it, it's it's stories that 
not even basketball fans even really know. Um, you know, just taking, uh, you know, the Earl the Goat Manigault. You know, not many people heard about Earl Manigault. You know, right, right. So yeah, it, yeah. it it was nice that you know somebody was able to focus on a legendary icon like Earl Manigault and was able to make a movie and really put it out there because now there's people. Um, you know, who who were in their early 30s now and, and whatnot, right, right. they know of Earl the Goat Manigault because of that movie. Right, right. And, and also in the film, um, in the beginning of the film, we had uh, Chick Hearn and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yes. Because we wanted to, to, to let the audience know uh, uh, Earl Manigault's impact on the game of basketball to the, to, to the point that somebody as great as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar considered him to be a legend. And the message of his story was that he was a great talent who had a great fall, but then rose up again to to help other people to to, to live a better life, and he mm-hmm. used basketball as a vehicle. Mm-hmm. So that was the message of that story. Absolutely, and you know we're talking about basketball history here, and all of these movies leading people to look into all these other great aspects of basketball history. Let's talk about the Harlem Rens. Nate, because you're you're making a movie now about the Harlem Rens. They played at the Renaissance Ballroom in Harlem many, many, many moons ago. Uh, yes. You know, why don't you tell listeners who were the Harlem Rens, how did they begin, and what they meant to basketball? Okay. Well, first of all, the Harlem Rens, which was also known as the New York Renaissance or the Rens, were were a team that was the, that was founded in 1922, who came out of what what was called the Black Fives era. Mm-hmm. And the Black Fives era was something that started in the early 1900s, and it was, you know, basically like a social club that basketball that centered around the game of basketball. And, and the reason why it was called the Black Fives era um, was that normally the teams had no more than eight players. Yeah, you know, it wasn't a team of eight, uh, it wasn't a team of ten or twelve, but basically no more than eight players. And not only did you have basketball games, the basketball games were like was like the center of an event. Like you would yep. have a picnic, a dance. So it was more than just basketball. It was almost yep. like a social event. Mm-hmm. And so that's what the Wrens came out of. And their owner, his, his name is Robert Douglas, who they call Smiling Bob, mm-hmm. was a guy from St. Kitt, who when he first was introduced to basketball, he fell in love with it. Yeah. And he started the New York Wrens. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the reason why he called them the the Renaissance was there was a ballroom called the Renaissance Ballroom and Casino. Yeah. And he he needed a place for them to play. So he went to the owner and he suggested that his team could play there and that they would call themselves the Renaissance and therefore also promote his business. Yeah. So so the owner said, sure. Now, in order for them to make money, they had to do what they called barnstorm. Mm-hmm. And they would barnstorm throughout the Midwest and South, <laughs> meaning they would play maybe a handful of games at the Renaissance Casino, like, you know, during Thanksgiving, New Year's Eve. And then from that point on, they would go out on the road for months and barnstorm throughout the country. Yeah. And they would play every day and sometimes twice on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, you know, just you know, just looking at their team record, I mean they started in what, nineteen twenty three and I believe they disbanded in what, nineteen forty nine? Yes. 
Yeah, and I mean, Mike, I don't know if you looked at their team record. 2,588 wins with only 539 losses. That's right. incredible. I mean, seriously, you don't hear about stuff like that. I mean, in, in the 32-33 regular season, they went 120-8. and eight. And right. Dave, talk to me. What type of teams were they actually playing against? Obviously, you've indicated they were playing against all white teams. Uh, right. So right. It, 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 it's, it's, rather, it's rather reminiscent, I guess, of the, of the baseball uh, Negro League, right? Exactly. Now, w- w- the situation was this. They, they had some professional leagues at that time. Yeah. But those leagues wouldn't allow the Rens to be a part of their league, you know, be, uh, partly because they were black. Yeah. So right. they played a lot of the teams, professional teams, that played in these leagues, all right, who also were barnstorming teams as well sometimes. Like yeah. they played against John Wooden's team. Uh, uh-huh. And John Wooden's team was a barnstorming team out of Indiana. Right. And they would normally play those type of teams. Sometimes they would play some college teams, mm-hmm. okay, because – you know, like you said, you know, they have a schedule where they play 100 and maybe 20 games in a season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in 1932 and 1933, they won 88 games in 86 <laughs> days. Wow. All Whoa. on the road. Now, when people hear that, Jeez. I don't think it really process no. that, uh, <laughs> that an NBA season is only 82 games, and they play that within six to eight months. Yeah. Right, and they played more than an NBA season in 86 days, and won every game, and played a couple of extra games, and all these games were on the road, never having a home game, traveling up to an average of 100 to 200 miles a day. Yes, in a bus in terrible weather. (laughs) Right, but think about physically being able to 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 play that many games and play it at a very high level. Yeah. And, and, and what the Rens are known for is being the first world champions of professional basketball. There was a tournament in 1939 held in Chicago. It was called the World, Bas- the world Professional Basketball Tournament, mm-hmm. and they had like 12 teams, and they had two black teams, the Rens and the Harlem Globetrotters, and the, and the Rens won that to become the first recognized uh, basketball champions of the world, oh. which mm-hmm. means the New York Renaissance are the first world champions that New York City ever had. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Look at that, man. You see, and you so they, the topic, nobody knows. Pardon me? Go ahead, Mike. No, I was going to say the competition then, Nate, that you were talking about, that competition that they were playing against, they, they, these weren't teams that were pickup teams. No, no. They, they, well, no, these, these were professional were, or semi-pro, semi-pro type types of teams. Right, and uh, no, they were really professional teams. Matter of fact, one of their their, their number one rival was the original Celtics, which yep. was a team out of New York City. Yeah. Okay, and the, and, and and when you look at the, the early beginnings of basketball, the the the, the best team in, in basketball would be the original uh, Celtics, and their heyday was the twenties. And yeah. then in the 30s, the, the Rens took over, then they became the best team. And one of the reasons why they became the best team is they played against teams like the original Celtics. And mm-hmm. they learned from their, their battles. Yeah. And, 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 you know, to become a champion, you got to be the champion. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what we got to tell listeners, too, that the original Celtics, no relation to the Boston Celtics. I mean, right. that no was a relation. totally different team, right. different league right. and, and everything. 
Right, and they were out of New York City. Yes, absolutely. When, when uh, people hear Celtics, they think Boston. Yeah. Well, you know what? That's the thing. When everybody thinks basketball, they automatically think of the NBA. They never think of the Eastern Basketball League. They never right. think of the Metropolitan Basketball League. I mean, there was exactly. a lot of leagues in those days. Yep. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And, you know, and like you said, a lot of barnstorming professional teams. Right. Now, yeah. another significance to the rim. And, and, and their significance to basketball as it is played over the years, and especially today, is they were the team that were, was credited for really creating the motion offense. Yes. Ball player movement. Mm-hmm. Ball player movement, which you don't see a lot of in today's basketball. I mean, in today's basketball, we see a lot of guys. You know, all they want. You know, the first thing they want to do, and the last thing they want to do is dribble. Yeah. The Rens came up with a motion offense where they rarely dribble. They mm-hmm. pass and move and cut, pass and move and cut. And then John Isaac, whose nickname was Boy Wonder, was credited with being the creator of the pick and roll, the most mm-hmm. devastating play in basketball when you execute it right, the most mm-hmm. unstoppable play, I should say. Yeah. And which, you know, we spoke about, too, and I know you said John Wooden was on some of those teams back in those days. I mean, you saw John Wooden take some of what the Rens did. Yes. He was students at not only UCLA but Indiana State when he was there before UCLA. Right. And and I'm no, glad you mentioned I'm glad yeah. you mentioned that because um when the Rens played, they were so well known and had such a reputation mm-hmm. that a lot of high school and college coaches would come to their games and, and sit up in the stands and diagram their plays mm-hmm. and then try to teach their <laughs> teams to, 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 to play like the Rens. Uh-huh. So so that's that's a very important point to to, to point out to uh, to your to your to your listeners. Well, absolutely, because you know John Wooden was such a legendary coach, yeah. and you know what, good for him. You know, in in his own right, he was. I mean, John Wooden is John Wooden. But you know, if you look at today's NBA and the players that came out of you know Indiana State and UCLA in those days, they're doing what the Rens started. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Wasn't that the same style of play, though, that we saw uh, as well from the early uh, Harlem Globetrotters? Weren't they more of a ball movement type of a team? I'm glad you mentioned that. I'm uh, glad you said that about the Harlem Globetrotters. Um, It's it's, it's interesting that when people, uh, you know, today, uh, when they think of the Harlem Globetrotters, I mean, they they have to be, without question, the most famous basketball team in the world. I mean, wouldn't you say? Harlem Globetrotters. Everybody's heard of it. Right. Absolutely. But very few people know the story that if it wasn't for the Wrens, there would be no Harlem Globetrotters. Yeah. Okay. The Harlem Globetrotters came about because of the Wrens. Abe Saperstein, who eventually uh, was credited for starting the Harlem Globetrotters, there was a guy in Chicago had a team called the Spartan Five, and he wanted to get more basketball games for his for his basketball team because he wanted his team to be more like the Rens. Yeah. So 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 somebody introduced him to Abe Saperstein. And Abe Saperstein said, I can go get you some more games. I can get you at least ten games. And while Abe was out there trying to get games for this, this guy and his team, Abe started to get games for his own team. And because back then if you had an all-black team, if, you mentioned, if, if that team had Harlem in part of its name, Automatically said two things: one, that your team was all black, and two, they were from right. New York. Yeah. Right. And so the Harlem Globetrotters came about in 1927. See? You know, so five that, years man. after the Rens. Wow. Right. 
and, yeah. and their and Abe's whole goal was to is, was to get them to the level of the rich. Now, when people think of the Harlem Globetrotters, they think of them as being a clown show or entertainment yeah. show. But the Harlem Globetrotters started out as a real basketball. Team. Correct. Correct. Wow, look at that. See, you know, and, and I, like I, I said, this is something that I, I, nobody thinks about when they think about not only basketball, but the Harlem Globetrotters, you know. Well, that's exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah that's, I'm glad they brought that up because, you know, that's something that a lot of people uh, have a misconception about with the Harlem Globetrotters. I've, I've, I've actually done a little bit of research on them myself, and, 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 you know, you're absolutely right. There's this misnomer out there that they're kind of a clown team. Yeah, but, uh, they, but they, they, they started out as a legitimate team. Now, right. The, the part about them clowning, this is really interesting. The Rens had, the Rens had a, a philosophy, right? They had a philosophy to what they call get 10. Because they know um, a lot of times when they would play these teams that the refs was going to cheat them and do certain things. So they always wanted to come out real early and get a 10-point lead. Yeah. And back in those days, since they had no shot clock, if you got a 10-point lead, you could kind of milk that. Okay? Right. And they also when they know they could blow a team out, not to beat a team by more than 10, mm -hmm. not to blow them out, because if they did, then that team might be more inclined not to want to play them again. Mm -hmm. And so they needed to make money, so they said, so their philosophy, let's keep it close, let's make them think that they can win, and so this way we can always schedule another game. Now, okay. Abe Saperstein took that philosophy and said, okay, if we're beating a team by a lot of points, what we're going to start to do is we'll pass the ball and we'll stop the clown around and make a show of it. <laughs> and that's where that came about. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? If they didn't do that, would the Harlem Globetrotters be around today? You know, that's the thing. You know, no, because, because you know because, because the Harlem Rens were such a, a a phenomenal basketball team. And, you know, like all these other Barnstormer teams, they all disappeared, but Harlem Globetrotters basically just turned right, around because, and took it to a different level. Right, because eventually yeah. what happened was they went from using that as a gimmick to it being their staple. Yeah. Right. You know, right. and in the long haul, they, you know, Abe Saperstein saw saw the money in it. Like, hey, we could go around the world entertaining people yeah. with yeah. guys that could really play basketball wow. and play it so well that they 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 could afford to clown around. <laughs> okay, because you have to be really good. To, to get a kind of lead like that and to clown around and still not lose the game. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. yeah. But but there was difference in philosophies Definitely. in that. And and also with the Harlem Rent and, and with their owner, Bob Douglas, um, a couple of things he wanted to prove, right? He wanted to prove that if you have a love for something and you had a great passion for it and you tried to play it, to perfection, that it would stand the test of time. Absolutely. And also, he wanted to prove through the game of basketball uh, and playing it at such an excellent level that black people as a whole could not only do that on a basketball court, but also could do that in other areas of American life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there was a social aspect to what the Reds were trying to do as well. Definitely. Well, you know, let's 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 talk about your movie though that you're making here because this is something that um, you know you're holding really dear to yourself. Um, you, right. you know, I know you were close to John Isaacs, who who was a Rens player uh, for right. many years. But w 
what you know what's what drove you to want to make this movie um and also and and also you know please tell our listeners you know is, is there is there a potential date that this movie's going to come out okay. you know and you know all the information based around this movie you're making all right well all your questions are excellent first of all what what you know when when I was playing high school ball and I was playing in tournaments like the Rucker and and citywide in New York and and, and winning these tournaments I heard about the rents Yes. So that's the rents were were kind of implanted on my brain, but I didn't know their story, their story. But in 1999, I was running a summer pro league in LA, and um, I was on the NBA.com website, and it had a story called "Remembering the Rents." Mm-hmm. And in this article on the NBA website, it kind of detailed the Rents' history. I mean, like, it was the first time I ever really, you know, saw in print their story. And I was so awestruck by it, yeah. right? And by this time, I was really, ver- you know, kind of immersed in the business of Hollywood. And I, and, and, I, and it just came to me, I wanted to tell their story. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> at the time, I was developing a TV show with Danny Glover and his production company, Kerry Productions. Yeah. And this TV show I was developing was was about a fictional NBA team that was in L.A., that moved from L.A. to Las Vegas, okay? Okay. And at the same time as I was developing this show, I started to do research and started to try to put together a development of t- trying to do a feature-length movie about the New York Renaissance. Mm-hmm. Okay doing research, contacting some people. And this when I initially met John uh, Isaac through, my, through, my, through the legendary coach, Sid Jones. Yeah. So meeting him, having him tell me some things, more so than what I could read and research, I started to develop this movie. Mm-hmm. And over time, I started to do uh, a little documentary short. Um, I started to uh, work with this director, commercial director, whose name is Joe Pitka, who uh, is the preeminent commercial director in American history. Every time you watch the Super Bowl, he has four or five or so commercials on. Mm -hmm. And so in developing their story and putting some things together, over the years, you know, I was able recently to get a script, to put together a pitch video, which is on YouTube, and start to put all the elements together to to be at a point where we can about to go into production within, you know, maybe the third quarter of this year and then have a release sometime in uh, 2014. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, the Ren story is so immense. You can tell a hundred, you can make a hundred movies. Yeah. So you have to have a point of view. So this particular movie is going to deal with the period of time from 1937 to 1939, all right? So it's going to be a period piece, Yeah. Mm-hmm. all right? And, and when you make a movie uh, that's a period piece, you have to really transport the the viewer, yeah. the movie the movie viewer, back to that time. Yep. Mm-hmm. You have to make it very authentic, all right? And you have to make it entertaining. Even though this is a true story, you want it to be entertaining. You want people to be... Dazzled, you want them to be, you know, amazed, and at the end also learn something. 
Definitely. Yeah. But, Definitely. But have a great movie-going experience. Mm-hmm. And part of what I'm trying to get done is to have an IMAX 3D version of the movie. Wow, mm-hmm. that would be nice. Black and white? Oh, uh, no, no, no. No? Oh, no, no, no. Come. I was going to say, that would that would really make it a period piece if you could do it in black and white. <laughs> well, you know, that's an interesting concept. That's an interesting concept. I, you know, I mean, we could, we could, you know, later on, uh, when you go into the DVD market, give give the, uh, the the viewer the option to see it in black or white if they so choose, or, or see it in color. But yeah. but but my mind is to do everything in color. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, do you have uh, a screenplay? Do you have a screenplay written? Yes, yes. Oh, yes. Okay. Yes, yes. We have all of that. Well, matter of fact, as we speak. I, um, we're, we're trying to put together with some major actors to, to, to sign on board. We have Danny Glover already, of course, but yeah. uh, you know it's moving. It's moving at light speed. Let me say that. That, it, that, it, that. It, now, what can, can you release to us? What role is Danny Glover playing? Um, he's he's going to play a role. Uh, he's not going to be one of the major roles, but but a significant role of of a, of a character. That uh, uh, before the Reds play in the, in the big tournament, uh, uh, plays a, 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 a major impact mm-hmm. in in their decision to go and play in this tournament. Okay. Okay. So yeah. is, is, is there know, like an on? I mean, Dan, Danny Glover brings so much humanity to any role he plays. Yes. Yeah. You well. know, and, and you know, as a filmmaker, when you make a film. Um, a film of substance. You you want it to have an impact. And if I if if I was pitching it to you and your fans to give them a, a visual sense of what this is going to look like, I would say to you that this movie would have the opulence and style of the movie The Great Gatsby, mm-hmm. but the um, with the emotional depth of Lincoln. So wow. if you've seen the Lincoln movie, yep. With Daniel Day Lewis, and they're doing a remake of The Great Gatsby with Leonardo DiCaprio. If you see those movies, and you and you see the style, the amplis, you see the way they were filmed, and then you see the emotional depth, especially of Lincoln. You put all that together. This is what the Renaissance Men is going to look like. Wow. All right. Well, you know what? One question before we let you go. Um, you know, because you know we have uh, some other things to touch on, unfortunately, but. Um, is, is there an ETA on when you guys are going to start, uh, you know, production on this movie? Or uh, there's not a, a set ETA, but we're looking in the third quarter, you know, probably because because we're going to have some NBA players. Yeah. We're going to have a mixture of great actors, and we're going to have NBA players mm-hmm. who have acting ability that's going to be a part of this project. And mm-hmm. I've already, you know, uh, like when we did the. Uh, the, the HBO movie about Earl Manigault, that's what we did. We had a lot of NBA players like right. uh, Joe Smith, and we had Kevin Garnett, Pooh Richardson. Right. So so we're looking at some sometime in July when the NBA okay. season is over. Okay. Mm-hmm. During the summertime, just before the season starts up again in October and November. Very nice, very nice. Well, Nate, you know what? You know, Honestly, thank you for joining us today and telling all our listeners about your movie coming out, and uh, hopefully when you you know you know you start getting into production on it and it's getting ready to come out, maybe we can get you on again to talk uh, you know some yeah. more about it. Oh yeah, yeah when it's released. Sure. Yep. I, I, I want to thank you for having me on, and I also want to say to your listeners, listeners, go to the Facebook page 
Renaissance Men yep. on Facebook, and check out our video uh, on YouTube, Renaissance yep. Men, Danny Glover. Yep. And also, we'll, we'll actually be posting that up on our Fan Junkies page as well, so we can get that out there for you, man. Yep. And we appreciate it. And I appreciate you guys taking the time to have me on, and I enjoyed it. And hopefully, like I said, as we start to get a definite production date, we'll, we'll stay in touch with you, let your listeners know. Um, the best way they can stay in tune is, is with the uh, the uh, Renaissance Men Facebook page. You got Great. it. All right, Nate, thank you so much, man. We hope to talk to you uh, sometime in the near future about it. All right, thanks, Jonathan. Thanks for having me on, and have a great day. You, All right, Nate, thank you, buddy. You, okay, bye-bye. A lot, of, a lot of basketball history, like we said, wow. would be discussed. And there Fascinating. You go. Fascinating stuff. Yeah, there you go. I, you know, Nate is, is really just, uh, you know, has his feet right into the basketball history of this whole thing. Uh, you know, and, you know, not many people realize that Harlem Wrens, you know, a lot of trickle-down effect. Harlem Globetrotters, legendary coach John Wooden, um, you know, straight yep. into what the NBA is today. Yeah. So it, it's, it's definitely going to be a movie people are going to want to watch. Fascinating stuff, really. Yeah, and you know, hopefully, uh, you know, like I said, when it gets into production and starts to get out there, maybe we can get him on, and uh, may- maybe at the same time, even do a little bit of a roundtable and get him and uh, you know some actors on it. Maybe even Danny Glover can uh, join us and talk some uh, about it. So yeah, very good. Yeah, we'll see what happens there. But you know, thank you, Nate, for uh, coming on, and we'll definitely push out the Renaissance Men movie for you because we're excited about it. So. Um, all right, we only got about four, a little under fourteen minutes left in the show here, Mike. So let's talk. Football, because it's the football playoffs this weekend. We had four games uh, going, uh, so let's talk about Saturday's games uh, real yep. quick. Um, Houston and Cincinnati. Um, re- you know, really wasn't anything of a shell shock there. We both, uh, you know, said that Houston could possibly win this game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we went with the experience. Um, you know, Matt Chubb, Andy Dalton, both didn't look good. But Arian Foster, what did I say, man? If they're going to have a shot, Arian Foster has to come back and look like Arian Foster. 32 carries, 140 yards, one touchdown. That led Houston to a 19-13 win. Texans, they're moving on, Mike. Yeah, well, okay, you could talk Arian Foster, but the game ball really should go to Shane Graham. I mean, let's get it straight. They had four four field goals. Yes. Uh, this, is what, this is what Houston is now offensively. They're a field goal-kicking team. I mean, seriously, I'm going to tell you right now, Houston four t- field goals, they still would have lost. They're getting knocked out in the second round. All right, this oh, team, absolutely. this team is just, you know, Cincinnati. If they should have beaten them by a lot more than six points. Yeah. All right. Uh, and we have talked about it and said it now for the past couple of weeks that Houston really does not look like the same sort of team that they were in the beginning of the season and at midseason point. And they have shown it now for the better part of the last month. Mm-hmm. This game was absolutely uh, horrible, really, to watch. It yeah. was slow. It was boring. <laughs> uh, both both teams were ineffective. Yes, all right, fine. Arian Foster lit up a little bit here and there, and it, it made for some exciting plays. But for the most part, this was a really, really uh, uninspiring game to watch. Mm. So basically, and, whichever team won this game is not winning round two. No, there's no way. I, I, you know, something. Uh, you know, we already know that Houston's going to play uh, New England. That'll be the last game uh, next Sunday. That'll be at 4:30. But I don't care who Houston plays. That you know, they could play. They could play the Baltimore Ravens or the or the Denver Broncos. And the fact of the matter is, Houston's losing. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get to the next game then, quick here. Uh, <laughs> Packers and Vikings. Packers win 24 to 10. Uh, Joe Webb. 
Who saw this guy coming into the game? Christian Ponder didn't even play. Did he come into the game? Did Joe Webb really come into that game? Seriously? 11 of 30, 180 yards with one touchdown. So, yeah, he was in the game. Oh, okay. I, you know, I, 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 I wasn't quite sure who that was. Yeah. Uh, he was sacked three times, uh, ended up with a 54.9 QB rating. Um, you know, you had to know almost from the beginning, uh, as soon as it was announced, and they waited, they waited quite a while there uh, to announce that Ponder wasn't playing. But almost as soon as you heard it, you had to go, I, I mean, I, you know. You knew right away Green Bay was winning. Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously, obviously. Uh, you know, at the same time, you can't particularly blame Joe Webb. This is a guy that hasn't been in a game all season. And all of a sudden, he that morning, he walks in and says, guess what? You're starting today against the Green Bay Packers in the NFL playoffs. Wait a minute. What the heck was going on with Minnesota? Now, Ponder apparently uh, incurred some sort of an elbow injury in the game previous. All right, so it was the week before in the finale yeah. uh, against Green Bay. Are you trying to tell me that Minnesota had no clue and they sprung this on this guy that morning? I mean, seriously. Uh, I, I, you know what? There was no – I mean – was it just me, or did you even know that Christian Ponder had a concern? No, I, I really no. They kept it. Obviously, they kept it very, very quiet. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I understand why, I suppose. But at the same time, you gotta, you know, during the course of the week, you know, I, I haven't read it. I haven't read all the background on it. But you got, you got to. I mean, they had to have an inkling at some point or another that there was a possibility the Ponder wouldn't play. How many snaps did Webb take during the course of the week? Uh, supposedly he, he took some, like, reps in the beginning of the week, but, I mean, seriously, I mean, we, we've seen backup quarterbacks going into the playoffs take reps with the first team just in case anyway, so it's like, sure. was that, you know, that wasn't a telltale sign that Christian Ponder, every, anything was wrong with him. All of a sudden, boom, that day, he's got an elbow injury. Okay, what happened with this elbow injury? Where did it come from? You're, you're going into the biggest game of the entire, uh, of your entire season, all right? Uh, you, you, you the week before, you beat this team, okay, at home. And you're going in and you got to play them right again the very next week out at their house at Lambeau. Yeah. Going into the biggest game of the entire season, and you spring on your backup quarterback that he's going to go into the game? Yeah. Unbelievable. I, I mean, uh, uh, you know. <sighs> well, you know what? It is for what it is, and they're done. Well, uh, I know, mean, I'll, I'll say Green Bay moves on. So. Green Bay was good to their word. Uh, Adrian Peterson did not get 200 yards. No, he got more like 100. It was 99, actually. Yeah, 99. But they did slow him down, I will say this. Well, you know what? Give Joe Webb seven carries running. I mean, that's just seven extra carries that AP could have used in that game. You know what I mean? So, it is what it is. But anyway, let's let's move to a couple of of, of other games here because we only have a few minutes left. Uh, Baltimore Ravens beat the Colts 24-9. Um, Colts, you know, who knows what was up with them. They lost Bruce Arians that morning. Their offensive coordinator who had some trouble and had to be uh, taken to the hospital, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, honestly, you look at both sides of the ball here, this game was all Anquan Bolden. I mean, he was pulling down ducks from Joe Flacco that I, I, I was like, wow, how the heck did he make this catch? <laughs> then all of a sudden, a couple minutes later, oh, my God, that catch was even better than the first one he just made. <laughs> you know, seriously, 145 yards with a touchdown from Bolden. I mean, even if they didn't have that, Ravens would have won this game. But he was the showstopper. Yeah, he was the number one fantasy receiver in the entire league uh, this past weekend. Uh, and I love the word you use, pulling down the ducks. Because, you know, really, you know, to me, that's what Flacco puts up there in the air. It's almost yeah, every single one of them is a duck. Listen, that one catch that Bolden made, that ball didn't yep. come into him. It came straight down. Yep. 
like it fell from the clouds. And it was just wobbling. I'm like, seriously, man? And he still made that catch. Unbelievable performance from Anquan Bolden yesterday. Yep. Uh, Ravens move on. You know, Colts, great run for them, I guess, this year, you can say, Mike. But oh, yeah, they I, finally I, met a bigger and better team in the playoffs. Yeah, I guess, I guess you could say that. I mean, you know, uh, I, I kind of thought that we were going to see a little more fire out of them, uh, even against the Baltimore team. Listen, ball, there was no doubt about it. You know, I picked Indianapolis, and I said I said last week, I said, listen, I could be completely wrong on this one. Boy, oh, boy, I'm going to tell you, I knew I was wrong as soon as you saw that defense, that Baltimore defense, come out onto the field. Well, that Baltimore defense was anyway. jacked. Yeah, they were jacked. jacked so. And look at what they did. Ten quarterback hits yeah. on, on uh, lock. Ten. Then right? still, the Indianapolis Colts, they're going up against a bigger and better team than the yep. Colts. Uh, seriously, do you think they're going to come out of the second round, Mike? Uh, Baltimore? Do a Flacco throwing ducks like that? No. Okay. No. No. Not listen, Anquan Bull is not having that performance again. Uh, no, I, I would agree with you. I don't think he will. Uh, you're going to be playing at at, at Denver. Uh, I, I don't see that happening. Um, you know, uh, Denver's defense is uh, okay, but uh, it, it'll be close. It'll be uh, it'll be it'll be closer than this game was. I think. Oh, yeah. uh, the Denver Denver uh, uh, Ravens game. But it'll be. But uh, no, I, I Denver comes out of that one on. Yeah, on we'll top. talk about that on Friday. Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll throw out our uh, round two predictions yeah. there. Uh, so basically, last game on the scrap heat last night was uh, Washington Seattle. We said this is probably going to be the most exciting game. It unfortunately didn't end up to be that way. Uh, Washington lost uh, twenty-four to fourteen. Seattle moves on to the second round. Um, let's talk real quick about this. RG three goes down. Yep. Knew he was injured. There's a lot. There, there was a lot of stuff going on where uh, you know Mike Shanahan threw uh, Dr. Andrews under the bus saying he cleared him a couple of weeks ago when he really didn't. Um, here we go again. Mike Shanahan thinking about this playoff win instead of the future of the Washington Redskins organization. Possible ACL damage for Robert Griffin III. Who knows right now what the hell went on with this game, Mike? I'll tell you, uh, I, as I'm watching it, and, and we talked about this pre-show, uh, Jonathan, as I'm watching it live, and you saw him go down for the last time, my first reaction here at the frat house was I said, oh, my gosh, you wait and see. Washington is absolutely going to get lambasted for this move. Yeah. It was so obvious that RG3 should have been pulled out of that game. Uh, and yet they kept him out there. Uh, and, you know, I've heard the media going both ways on this. Mm. <laughs> I've heard the media saying exactly what I'm saying, that, in fact, it was absolutely unwise to keep him in the game. I've had others who have, who have indicated the complete opposite, that you can't blame Shanahan, you can't blame the management on the sideline, because players being players, they want to play the game. Uh, so, wait, it's up to the coach to think about the organization, to think about the player, and make the best possible decision you know he can make. Absolutely. Mike Shanahan didn't make the best possible decision he could have made yesterday. I agree 100%. 100% I, I agree mean, with you. Honestly, you could have not only ended a rookie's career and a very damn good football player, but at the same time, take away the franchise player of the Washington Redskins and hamper their future. Robert Griffin, it was so obvious that for most of the game he was ineffective. He only ended the game with 84 yards. Yeah. They really – and look, when you got – and I, I made this comment to you yesterday. I won't say comparable. I will not say comparable uh, quarterback. But when you've got a competent backup quarterback in Kirk Cousins, and we've seen him play, 
you go to him sooner in that particular game. <laughs> Particularly when you can see that RG3, what really wasn't effective even through the first half. Yeah. Well, not even so, that. You know, you, you know what? You put Kirk Cousins in, you rely on more on Alfred Morris. I mean, he only had 16 carries. Yes. Seriously. Yes. But yet he still got 80 yards. Yes, but that Seattle defense was doing a pretty darn good job of locking yeah, they, him up. They were. They were. You know what? You have to give props to the Seattle defense. They, you know, they did a phenomenal job yesterday. Um, but comes down to this, uh, you know, my opinion, Mike Shanahan, I think he was wrong in what he did yesterday. And, uh, you know, for RG3's sake, let's hope, uh, you know, he's okay and comes back healthy for next season. Well, uh, one one final point on it, as I brought up pre-show, and I want to bring it up to for the audience to just remember. This is not the first time we've had a situation like this where Washington has been questioned. That is, the team management has been questioned with regard to the usage of RG3. You might recall that back earlier on in the season, there were there were arguments that, in fact, the team did not follow on the field protocols when uh, with, with a a, a uh, concussion that RG3 had suffered. Yes, so, exactly. Yeah. Uh, this is this is not this is not the first time we've seen this sort of thing. Yeah, no, it's not. Well, we'll talk more about it on Friday, as uh, of course, as we throw out our uh, second round predictions. Uh, unfortunately, we only have a very few minutes left in the show here, so um, you know we have we have to plug some upcoming shows. But first, we want we want to thank Nate Bellamy for joining us today. Um, you can check out Renaissance Men on Facebook just by typing in Renaissance Men in the search bar. We'll also link up to it on FanJunkies.net uh, yep. as, as well as our uh, well, actually, and, and our Twitter account. We'll, we'll send it out as there as well. So keep an eye on that. Um, join it. Uh, you know, Danny Glover is going to be in the movie. Some NBA players are going to be in the movie. It's going to be a really good movie. Uh, I'm, I'm psyched about it. And once again, thank Nate for coming on and talking uh, Renaissance men and basketball history with us. It was really interesting. Um, Wednesday show, we have WFN Jets uh, beat reporter, newest beat reporter for WFN, Chris Lepresti. We're going to be talking New York Jets football on Wednesday. And, uh, of course, the uh, insanity going on there. On Friday... WIFL Women's Indoor Football League Commissioner Dion, League is, uh, Dion Lee is going to join us to speak about the WIFL, what drove him to start the WIFL, um, and also talk about the compound tryouts that are going to be going on across the United States. So if you're a female and you're interested in trying out for the WIFL, we'll also post the dates of where the WIFL will be in the country um, starting Ju- uh, January 12th going up to August 31st, um, and, and you can head out to the tryouts there. Um, definitely going to be interesting, Mike, to hear from yep. Dion, and of course yep. Chris on Wednesday. So yep. um, it's going to be good. As always, check out FrightHouseSports.net, where you can see our very own Mike McShane, sidekick in the group, and the gang uh, doing five minutes at the Frat House on Thursdays. And if you can't check it out, Frat House uh, Thursdays will be here on Fan Junkies Radio on Saturdays. Yeah, First debuted Saturday, and it was great. Hundreds of listeners. It was it was yeah. amazing for a Saturdays for something we didn't promote, Mike. Yeah, it was. I, and I, I thank everybody who listened in. Yeah, absolutely. So, once again, for Mike McShane, I'm Jonathan Raggis. Thank you for listening to Fan Junkies Radio, and we'll see you all on Wednesday when we are joined by WFAN Jets reporter Chris Lepresti. Thank you so much. We'll see you all then. Catch you then. Maybe you're a 49ers fan in Jacksonville or a Jets fan in Houston, and you're looking to connect with fellow fans from hundreds or thousands of miles away. Look no further than FanJunkies.net. FanJunkies.net is a social networking site dedicated to fans of every team and every league. Connect with baseball, football, basketball, and hockey fans from throughout the country and throughout the world. Get the latest news, take polls, and interact in live chats on game day. And best of all, it's absolutely free to join. Sign up today at FanJunkies.net. FanJunkies.net, where sports meets social networking.